copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and find the 11th chapter. Mark chapter 11 will be there in a moment. Yeah, have you ever read anything in the Bible, and you read it, 
and when you're done reading it, (laughs) you come away saying to yourself, what was that all about? Now, if you've never had that experience, you might have that experience as we read the passage today. Uh, Someone that I read this past week said that the story we're going to look at today is one of the most difficult ones in the Gospels. It's one of the most difficult stories in the Gospels. It just, it just doesn't seem right. It seems out of place for Jesus. It seems out of character for Jesus. And I tell you what, let's just read it, and I think you'll see what I mean as we read it. So you're in Mark chapter 11. I want you to drop down to verse number 12. We'll start there and read down to verse 14. Then keep it open because we're not done. We're going to continue going. But I want you to notice in Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 12, it says, Now the next day... When they had come out from Bethany, he, that is Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, to summarize what we've just read, here Jesus kills a fig tree. (laughs) That's what he does. He kills a fig tree. Now, we're beginning today a journey to the cross. That's the series that we're beginning. And we're going to be working our way toward Easter. And the event that we just read here takes place on the Monday of the final week of Jesus' life leading up to the cross. So think about this is the final week leading up to the cross, and what we just read takes place on Monday. On Monday, Jesus, he kills a fig tree. On the final Monday before he's crucified, he cursed the fig tree is what it's often called. Now, boys and girls, when it says he cursed the fig tree here, it doesn't mean he used a bad word. No, no, no. It means he pronounced judgment upon it. He killed this tree. But the question is, why? Why did Jesus curse? Why did he kill a fig tree? What is this all about? What do we do with this? I mean, this is the final week leading up to Calvary, and on that Monday, he kills a fig tree. You know, if you go through the Bible and you look at figs and fig trees, it's quite interesting. I ran a search in my Bible software program and I discovered that fig or figs appears 66 times in 55 verses in the King James Version of the Bible. In fact, we don't even get very far in the Bible before we are kind of confronted with a fig tree. Uh, Consider this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. You remember Adam and Eve, they sin, they disobey God, they eat of the forbidden fruit. And in Genesis 3, 7 it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed what? Fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. When you think about figs in the Bible, you might think about Jesus telling the story, the parable of the fig tree. Or you might remember that as He's dealing with the disciples and Nathaniel, He says to Nathaniel that He saw him under the fig tree. I mean, there's a lot of talk about figs and fig trees in the Bible. But for our purposes today, I want you to know this, that the fig tree was used as a symbol for the nation of Israel. Look at this verse, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13. 
I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. A picture of the nation of Israel. Consider Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. And so fig trees are a a representation, a symbol of Israel. Now, one of the most confusing parts of this story, I mean, you look at it and Jesus comes along and then he, he pronounces a curse upon the fig tree. It says here in the Gospel of Mark, it was not the season for figs. Did you notice that? Scholars tell me, though, that the way a fig tree works, and I don't know if anybody has a fig tree in here or not, but they tell me the fact that the tree had leaves means that there should have been fruit on that tree. It may have been very immature, unripened fruit, but the fruit and then the leaves come on. So when he saw a fig tree and it had leaves upon it, there should have been some sort of fruit on it, but Jesus goes and he finds no fruit. Which what, It means simply this, we have a fruitless tree here. A fruitless tree. Someone called it a hypocrite tree. It appeared to be something that it was not. It appeared to be, if you will, a, a tree that had figs, but it only had leaves. It didn't have any fruit. But why did Jesus curse this tree? Why did Jesus kill the tree? It seems like it's a little bit odd. It seems kind of out of place. Usually when God or Jesus performed miracles, they were all positive. In fact, when you look at them, the only other one we can think of that some would say was destructive was when he cast the demons into the herd of swine and they jump off the side of the cliff. But here we have him killing a tree. And he says it wasn't the season. Well, you have to remember this took place on that Monday on the way to the temple. You're still in Mark chapter 11. Pick up the reading there in verse 13. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple, now watch this, and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and, and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. So we actually have two judgments here. We have the cursing of the fig tree on the way to the temple. And then when he got to the temple, you see the Lord Jesus. Again, when you look at it on the surface, it seems a little bit out of character, but it's not. He's overturning the tables. He's casting out the money changers. And in a real sense here, beloved, the fig tree is a picture of fruitless Israel. They had all the appearances of life about them, but there was no fruit. Just like the temple. 
The temple was very active and there was a lot of commotion going on. It had all the appearances of true worship there, but it was corrupt. And Jesus does two things here that may seem out of character, but they were not. These judgments, by the way, were not rash. They were not sinful. Jesus never sinned. He never acted out of character. He was perfect. This is not just Jesus being hangry and being upset. It's not just him having a bad day where he goes along and kills a tree and casts people out of the temple. That's not the picture at all. You have a a God here in the flesh fully in control, always in control. But he brings about these judgments. It's important to remember that Jesus is God. And as God, he is the merciful Savior, but he's also a wrath-filled judge. He's perfect in all of his attributes and all of his character. And Jesus expected fruit, and he found none. If we're not careful, beloved, our lives can look a lot like that fig tree. We can have shiny leaves and be beautiful on the outside by all appearances, but there is no real fruit. There may be some here today and For all intents and purposes, you appear to be a Christian. You live your life, at least before others, as a Christian would live in many regards. And on the outside, you you look just like an ideal Christian. But the real question is, is there a real relationship with Jesus Christ on the inside? It is possible for people to go through the motions and to go through all of the things that accompany Christianity and yet never have a personal relationship with with Jesus Christ. That is, there's no true life about you. There's no true fruit about you. If you're here today and you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus, you've never invited Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you this very moment to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ alone. For others, we can be like this fig tree. That is, we're we're truly saved but we're just kind of going through the motions. Um, our hearts are not really in it. We, we, our leaves are kind of shiny, but really when you look on the inside, there's not really much going on as far as Christian growth. And I think one of the dangers of being a Christian for a long time, and I know I'm talking to some people who've been Christians for the majority of your life. You may have come to Christ as a child. Most people do, by the way. It's very easy for us to kind of get into going through the motions. You know, another Sunday comes and we get up and we get our family up and we kind of wrestle around and get everybody out the door and get to church and we maybe fuss and fight on the way and we fuss and fight at the house and then we put on our, our Christian smiles as we drive up the driveway and get out and we, good morning, and we just kind of go into the motions. We sit in Sunday school class. We, we were in the worship service, the singing. We, we, we sang that song. We sang, oh, well, how I love Jesus for, for 25 years. And it's just the same old song to us. And we go through the motions. It's prayer time. We just bow our heads and try to focus and think about things. And it's time to give. And we throw our money in the offering plate. And it's, it's time for the preaching. And we, we kind of look at it. And we hope it will be something interesting. We hope it will be something that, that's not boring. We hope that He'll let us out early today. And we're just going through the motions, but our heart is not in it. And you see, the Lord wants our heart. Not just the shiny leaves, but fruit. 
Not just the appearance, but the true reality of it. And it may be that you need a refreshing, you need a reviving. And I think in all honesty, and I know I've been a Christian for many years, I came to faith in Christ about the age of nine, I believe it was. And as you grow and as you live your Christian life, there seems to be those, those peaks and valleys. When you first get saved, there's an excitement about it and you're, you're excited to tell others about Christ. You're excited to get baptized. You're excited about going to church and then for a little while and then all of a sudden it kind of fades. Kind of like a diet in many regards. You know, when you do a diet. That first day, man, you're weighing your food and, and you're doing everything just right and you're meal prepping and about the third or fourth day, you, you smell that hamburger as you're driving through town and you think, boy, that would be good. And the challenge in our Christian lives, we have those times where we're just, if, if all honesty, we're just going through the motions and maybe that's you today. And you need a reviving. You need a refreshing. You, you need what, as David prayed there, restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. There's no true joy about your life in Christ. In fact, it could be even a burden at times to you. It's time to go to church again. It's time to serve again. We all need to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to see what's really going on in us. Because, by the way, Jesus sees clearly and He knows. We've got to hasten here. It's Monday of the final week leading to the cross. And now we move from that Monday to Tuesday. And we're going to see that the Fig tree here is revisited by Jesus and the disciples. Let's pick up the story. You're still in Mark 11. Look at verse 20. Now we're on Tuesday. Remember, he's going to die at the end of the week. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. Notice what it's like. It's dried up from the roots. It's not just withering. It's not slowly dying. It is dried up from the roots. And Peter chimes in. Can you imagine that? Peter speaks up. So, so unlike Peter, isn't it? <laughs> Peter says, remembering, said to him, verse 21, Rabbi, look! The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And now here comes a lesson. Don't miss it. Verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. For as surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. We could say at this point that Jesus addresses what we might call fruitless prayer. Fruitless prayer. How many of us pray? Let's be honest about it. How many of us pray, but we don't see the answer to our prayer or the fruit from our request? Now, I have a feeling that if you've been a Christian for a amount of time, that as I said that, and maybe even right now in your life, there's something you're praying about you may have been praying about it for a week or a month. It may be years, but it popped into your mind. 
I'm sure if you've been a Christian for a amount of time, there's been times where you prayed and it seems nothing happened and you didn't get an answer. It was just a fruitless prayer. In fact, let's just be honest about it if we can. If you're like me, there may have been times in your life where you've prayed about something and you grow so frustrated about it because it seems nothing happens that you literally are either tempted to give up praying or you do give up praying about it. I want you to hear me. Jesus does not want our prayer lives to be fruitless. Peter here, I don't know if you called it, but he seems a little bit surprised by the withered tree. And I got to thinking about Peter and his response here. You know, look, Rabbi, it, it, it's withered up. And, and don't you know that sometimes Jesus was tempted to go to Peter? Well, duh. I, I killed it yesterday. I cursed it yesterday. But he's so gracious, so kind. And instead, he uses this opportunity to teach a lesson to those that are there. And, and I, I think we're like Peter at times. You ever had a prayer? Let's be honest about it. We're, we're friends here. We're family. You ever had a prayer that you offered and God answered your prayer as you asked and you were surprised? Let's just be honest about it. You prayed about something. He answered it and you're like, wow. Now, why are you surprised? Well, truth of the matter is we get surprised because a lot of times we don't always ask in faith believing that we are being heard and will get our prayers as we ask. We're shocked by it. God, our, I want you to hear this. God, our Father, longs to bless us. Do you believe that? He longs to bless us. I was reading Pastor Benny Tate in his book, Defy the Odds, tells about his life, incredible testimony. But he's telling about when his daughter graduated from college and she moved from Georgia to Missouri. And Benny and his wife, Barbara, they, they went out to, to see the daughter. The daughter's named Savannah. And as they're visiting with their daughter, Savannah, Savannah mentioned the fact that she wanted a grill. She said a lot of her friends had a grill. They, they, they cooked out, and that was kind of what they did. And, and she wanted a grill, and so she could have people over. Well, Benny insisted they go get a grill right then. We're going to get a grill right then. And the interesting thing was, thankfully, Walmart, now I know that's hard for us to believe, it was just a mile away. They had plenty of grills. They go to Walmart. They picked out the perfect grill. But then came the problem. You see, they, they bought a grill that was pre-assembled. It was already put together. And no matter how hard they tried, they could not get the grill in the rental car. I mean, I just see in the parking lot trying to get that. Now, now I might be telling them myself, to be honest about it. You ever seen somebody trying to get something in a car that doesn't fit? How many of you are like me and you just sit there and watch them? I can see them trying to get this grill in this car, but they couldn't get it in no matter what they did. They could turn it, no, no way to get it in. So what did they do? They return it? No. Pastor Benny began pushing the grill. And he pushed the grill alongside the highway for the entire mile from Walmart to his daughter's place. Can you not see him? You're riding down the interstate and there's a man pushing a grill down the interstate. Now, why did he do that? I mean, why would he make himself look so foolish? Can you imagine the laughs, the stares, the horns blowing, the cackling, people riding by with their cell phones, taking a picture of him? Why would he 
subject himself to that. You know why? Because he longed to bless his daughter. And he did not care about the inconvenience. He did not care about what anybody else thought, anybody else did. He was going to push that grill to get it back for his daughter. You parents know what I'm talking about. Can I just tell you, our Heavenly Father loves us and He longs to bless us. Just like I long to bless my children, you long to bless your children. I want you to consider this verse, Matthew 7, 11. Be a good one to mark down. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? But the problem is what? We ask without faith. We ask without believing. We don't get what we desire because we don't ask in faith. Now, I've got to point out here, Jesus says have faith in God. It's not just have faith in faith. A lot of people have faith in faith. You say, well, you struggle. Oh, yeah, I'm praying. I have faith. But the question is, who do you have faith in? It's not faith in faith. There's got to be an object to your faith. He says, have faith in God. The other week, I began getting emails from an awning company. And they sent it to my email, my, my Gmail, and it was a quote for awnings from my house. The problem was, it was in a different state and I didn't own that house. It wasn't my quote. And I looked at it and I thought, this is legitimate. I mean, they had photographs of the house. It was like a mom and pop shop. They were trying to give these awnings for me. They were trying to service me. It was a legitimate quote. And then I had to email them back. I knew it wasn't spam. I had to email them back and say, listen, you've got the wrong person. You've got the wrong Rodney Clements. And of course, it's confusion. Is this not the right email address? I said, you've got the wrong person. I got an email later, a different lady in the company. You've got the wrong person. No matter how hard they tried to sell me those awnings, I was never going to buy them. Why? They were asking the wrong person. Have faith in God. Not faith. Not yourself. Can I even say not even your prayers? He says here, have faith in God, verse 22. We need to pray believing. He says here, you can, you can say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Do you really pray believing? Do you really? I read about a little boy. And that little boy wanted a, a brother or sister. It kind of resonated with me because my oldest son prayed and we have a third one. We told him to stop praying because he prayed for a dog. We got a dog. He prayed for a sibling. We got a sibling. We isn't that terrible time to stop praying? But I read about a little boy who uh, wanted a brother or sister, so he started praying. And he prayed about three months. Three months, and then he quit praying. Another six months go by, and his father took him to the hospital. And they went to this window at the hospital. And as little boy is standing there, a curtain begins to be pulled back. And as the curtain was pulled back more, this is back when they had those nurseries, you know, in the hospital. As it was pulled back more and more, he saw one baby. He saw two babies. He saw three babies. They were all his siblings. His mom had triplets. The father leaned down and said to this little boy standing there looking at these three babies, he said, aren't you glad you prayed? And the little boy said, aren't you glad I stopped after three months? 
He prayed believing. Do you pray believing? Many times we don't really believe that God hears our prayers and will answer our prayers. We pray without faith in God. Jesus says here, pray believing. Now you might be wondering, and I'm just going to touch on this momentarily. You say, well, preachers, this is just a blank check. Is Jesus just saying here, ask for whatever you want and you're guaranteed to have it? Well, you have to remember this is not health and wealth and prosperity gospel here, no. We have to take into account Jesus' other teaching on prayer according to the Father in His name with forgiveness, with thanksgiving, that sort of thing. But this is not so much about what we're praying for as to how we're praying. And that is praying with faith in God. He mentions a mountain here. And by the way, when you think about the mountain, we don't really have a need for us to cast real mountains out into the ocean. That would be an unnecessary thing. But a mountain there represents the big problem in your life. I wonder today, are there any mountainous problems in your life? You know, when you're in a mountain, let's say you're hiking up a mountain, all you see before you is a gigantic hurdle, and sometimes it's a rocky surface, and there's no way you can get to the other side. You can't even see to the other side. It's a monumental problem. We've got to remember that the one we're praying to, our Father, He sees from above. He's transcendent. He's, he's looking down upon it. When you're in an airplane, you know, when you're, it's the difference when you're on a road and when you're in an airplane. I love to fly and look out over the landscape and just see it. And this reminds me of how our Father sees us sincere. And by the way, He not only sees one block at a time, He sees our whole life. And He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray believing. You've got a mountain-sized problem. Pray believing. Pray about them to the Father. Pray with faith in the Father believing that He can move those mountains in your life. But we're about done. We've got to do one more thing. And that is I want to do a little fruit inspection. When you go to the grocery store, you're going to buy some fruit. You, you kind of inspect it probably. That's one of the reasons I don't like these grocery services where you order online because I want to see my fruit. I want to pick out my own bananas and stuff. But anyway, you, you go and you inspect that fruit. You look for spots. You look for the quality of it. Well, I want to just do some real quick fruit inspection with you. First of all, I want you to look at your life. Is there any missing fruit today? First of all, are you lost? Is there life about you? Have you come to faith in Christ? And then if you have, how are you doing spiritually? Are you cold today? Are you just going through the motions? Are you like that fig tree that Jesus... Killed, shiny leaves, all the appearance of life, but no fruit. How are you doing? And then secondly, I want you to think about your prayer life. Are you praying with faith in God, believing? Are you seeing fruit from your prayer life? Have you brought that mountain that you're dealing with to the Lord in faith? saying, Father, I know you can move this mountain. I find it significant, and we'll close with this, that on the final week of Jesus' life leading up to the cross, he took the time to not only show a picture of judgment upon fruitless Israel, but then the kindness and graciousness of him 
to turn to his disciples and say, listen, I want you to pray with faith in God. Let's bow together. Father, I pray today that these lessons would be planted deeply within us. If anybody's lost today, they would come to saving faith. If there are Christians who are struggling, who are cold in their Christian journey, would you revive them and refresh them today? And then, Lord, as our prayer lives, as we think about them, help us to be honest with you today. Do we really pray with faith in God believing? You are able to do above and beyond all that we can think or even ask. So help us, Lord, to ask in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Our altar is open today. We would invite you to come and to pray. Pastor Larry's here. I'm here. We'd love to assist you in some way. We're going to stand and sing in closing 414 softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling us. As he calls you, you come as we sing together. 414, let's stand together and sing.